Good evening, welcome to India Decides. On the program, after Pakistan passes a resolution condemning the execution of Afzal Guru, stinging criticism of Pakistan by all parties in India. But the government also comes in for some serious flack as India's international image takes a beating for a host of reasons. Tonight is India's image as a regional power on the veil. I'm Vishnu Shaw. Whether it is Mali or it's Rome or it's Islamabad, I think we seriously need to discuss our foreign policy and where it is leading us because if India can be kicked around the, in, the, by, in this manner internationally, then there is something seriously wrong on the matter, in the manner in which we are managing our external affairs. Slide and uh, rejection and so on, but we have to be realistic, we have to be pragmatic. Uh, we cannot succeed in anything unless we are sensible, pragmatic and balanced. So it's something profoundly wrong with our foreign policy. Joining us now, the Foreign Minister, Salman Khurshid. Mr. Khurshid, would you like to respond to those remarks by Arun Jaitley, basically implying that there was something systemically wrong. We were not respected, perhaps, as a nation in the manner in which we would like to be. Well, I'd be very happy to respond to that if Mr. Jaitley would only say which country, according to him and according to his standards and his understanding of diplomacy, is respected in the world today. Uh, people are at war. Uh, the French, French troops in the Air Force is in a war in Mali. Uh, the uh, Americans are planning an early exit from, from Afghanistan. Um, there are, there are all, kinds of, all kinds of things happening in different parts of Africa. Uh, which country would, would Mr. Jetty want us to emulate in terms of foreign policy? There is a difficult world today and uh, the difficult world is uh, contributed to by some very difficult people, particularly short-sighted people and you know who I mean. And, uh, and therefore, uh, foreign policy in these times has to, be, has, has, to do, has to be worked very carefully and has to be implemented very carefully and we are trying to do that. We are not policemen of the world. We are not here, not here to reorder the world. We are here to be good friends, supporters in times of crisis and a country that believes in freedom and enjoys relationships which are based on equality and in freedom. And I, I think if someone can't understand this, then uh, perhaps what we need is, is uh, uh, very special classes to educate them. Mr. Jaitley also said that the resolution in Pakistan is an official statement by the entire polity of Pakistan endorsing the terrorist attacks. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I, I think that's probably ta that's taking it a little bit too far. Uh, we don't know how many people were present in the house when that was moved. It wasn't moved by the government. It was moved by a person who heads a committee on Kashmir. And I would imagine somebody in Pakistan Assembly who heads a committee on Kashmir wouldn't have very much else to say. Uh, but be that as it may, if it's a unanimously endorsed resolution passed in the house, irrespective of how many members were in the house at that time, we take it seriously, and that's, that's the reason why we responded seriously. And so part of that response has been the hockey series with Pakistan being cancelled. Apparently the environment is not right. Once again, sir, it's sporting relations which get hit first. A lot of sports fans on both sides of the border would disagree, with, disagree on that. Be that as it may, 
Is this the first step of several steps that you intend to take against Pakistan? Well, I don't. I, I don't think that we should see our relationship with Pakistan in a uh, uh, in a fixed time frame of one day, one week, one month, or even one year. Uh, it's an evolving relationship. Uh, we factor in improvements in the 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 ambience and the atmospherics. Uh, we factor in also uh, issues that have caused uh, uh, hurt to us or caused concern or stress to us. And keeping all that in mind and the overall objective that we want to have stability and peace in our region and that India must be seen and is seen in the world as a responsible country that doesn't get provoked by, by actions of, of others uh, which are perhaps, perhaps initiated to try and distract India from its larger purpose. Uh, I think all that has to be kept in mind and you there are, are uh, in the media are there for uh, uh, to keep us under constant scrutiny. We share things with you uh, which we believe will help the national cause and we do hope and urge you to continue helping us in the national cause. Mr. Khurshid, let's talk about the Italy situation. Uh, the Supreme Court has said that the Italian ambassador cannot leave this country. There is of course the Vienna Convention. And we are told now that the government has uh, put a lookout notice, in a sense, at various airports. Uh, will the government actually physically prevent the Italian ambassador from leaving India if he chooses to leave? I don't, actually, I don't think we should be answering hypothetical questions on sensitive matters. The Supreme Court uh, was approached by, uh, by the Italian government. The Italian government and the ambassador on behalf of the Italian government gave a very solemn guarantee uh, uh, to the Supreme Court and I assume uh, the Italian government will in response to the Supreme Court's query and notice go back and explain to the Supreme Court what it has done and uh, therefore uh, there is no coercion. The Supreme Court has only given a two-day notice. The heavens will not fall in two days. Even if he wanted to leave, uh, surely uh, he, would, he would take a little time to leave. So I don't think we should go into, into uh, the uh, hypothetical questions about about what would happen and how that would violate or not violate the Vienna Convention. Uh, as far as our understanding of Vienna Convention or any other obligations are concerned, when the matter is taken up in court on Monday, we will certainly be there to assist the court through our, uh, our, our legal representative, the Attorney General, and the court will then take a final call. Sir, the Vienna Convention says the person of a diplomatic agent shall be inviolable. He shall not be liable to any form of arrest or detention. I know you're a lawyer as well, sir, and this is a somewhat some sort of a precedent as far as Indian foreign policy is concerned. The Supreme Court telling a foreign ambassador, "Look, you cannot leave our country. You are bound to follow the orders of the Supreme Court." And and yet. India is one of the, the most fundamental international players. The Vienna Convention is the basis. That we don't of, know. So, we, isn't there, it, it's difficult. The Supreme Court, we don't know what the Supreme Court intends to do. The Supreme Court has simply said, somebody came to us and he was here and he gave us this guarantee. Would you please convey to him that he should not leave and come to us and explain to us what guarantee he gave. What's wrong with that? That's not detention. So, I mean, you know, heavens don't fall in two days to go back to the very court that the Italian government had, had approached for getting the relief that they got. And if the court then continues that, that engagement to say, can you please tell us now why have you changed your mind and why have you departed from what you promised us, that's not detention, that's not violation of any convention, that's not even violation of, of normal human courtesy. 
and I think everyone owes this to the court as well to go back and explain. We heard something like this was happening or we were informed, therefore we felt obliged to tell the court, which is what we did. Uh, you have uh, you've spoken in the media already on this and you've said that there will be uh, some sort of action. Uh, the Prime Minister has spoken about this. He's not specified what that action will be. It's a wait and watch position as far as you're concerned. You're waiting to see what happens in court. Having said that and assuming that there will be some action, is it fair to assume that the least that will happen is that our diplomatic status in Italy will be degraded. We will bring down the status of our mission, of our diplomatic mission in Italy. I, you can assume anything you like, but it's not for me to say anything till such time as we've taken a call, taken a decision, and then, of course, we will inform the world through you, uh, through the media, that we've taken that decision. But to take, to take it tonight on the channel would be very difficult for me. We would, obviously, in the right time, given the information that we get from the court, finally decide what we need to do. So you haven't had, you, there has been no decision uh, so far at all. I mean, you, there is no broad uh, sort of avenue that you're pursuing in terms of dealing with Italy so far. There is no, there is no decision, there is no decision that we've taken that we have reached to the stage of announcing. Okay. When we announce that decision, you will know. Um, just one or two more questions on this. Bilateral trade with Italy, uh, the Italian ambassador says, will likely go up to 15 billion by 2015. It currently stands at 8.5 billion. Is this something that India needs to also consider that, yes, there has been a, a political, a diplomatic fallout over here of the highest order, but there are other exchanges and economic exchanges between, you know, an important Western part in India as well? Well, obviously, uh, you don't take decisions in a vacuum, you, you factor everything in, uh, you, you look at implications, you look at uh, future prospects, you look at, look at the past experience, you look at the intensity of relationship you have, you look at the, uh, the attitude that other countries will take, and then you finally decide. And uh, any decision of this nature involves sacrifices as well. You make a point, but if you have to make a stand on a principle, then you have to be ready to pay a price for it. So these are issues that we will decide when we get to that point. It's not to be decided tonight. At present, this is work in action, work, work in progress. When we reach the end of the progress, we will let you know. One last question, uh, pretty much where I started out from. The larger issue of where India presently stands and some of the challenges that you face, Maldives, Italy, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Mr. Khurshid, you're, you're relatively new as a foreign minister, but you've sort of come in at a time when there are a whole set of challenges. Uh, is it very, very difficult for you a, a, at this stage to, to lead India to what people believe should be its position as a regional power, as a strong international player? Hasn't that been threatened or challenged? You don't become a regional power unless you have, uh, unless, unless you have confidence in yourself. You don't become a regional power simply because uh, you you go to, to parliament and scream your lungs out. You become a regional power when you work hard, you put your heads together, uh, you decide decide what the moral leadership the world requires uh, and how you will provide it. And then you need your people behind you. I think it's very important to be a, uh, to be a power or be a country which with which uh, has a dominant presence in the world that your people stand by you 
And it's important that people understand that international politics is never necessarily the same as domestic politics. We will have to learn to rise above domestic politics sometimes and look at the larger national interest in which, in, uh, in, in which the light of which we will then be able to see our, our role in the world. And in return, the world will then see us as, as having a dominant role. All right, Mr. Khushri, thank you so much for speaking to us this evening. Thank you. So the big question tonight, from Italy to Pakistan to the Maldives, Indian foreign policy under fire. Is India, as Arun Jaitley says, getting kicked around internationally? And is something seriously wrong with our foreign policy? Joining me to discuss this, Shanta Ram Naik, Rajya Sabha MP of the Congress Party, Najma Heptullah, former Deputy Chairperson of the Rajya Sabha and Senior Leader, uh, and Rajya Sabha MP of the BJP. Joining me from Islamabad, Air Vice Marshal Shahzad Chaudhary retired. He's a strategic affairs expert and former diplomat. And in the studio with me, Mr. K.P. Fabian, former Indian ambassador to Italy. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Air Marshal Chaudhary, if I can start with you. The Pakistani resolution to condemn the hanging of Afzal Guru has come as a shock over here. Afzal Guru is someone who seemed to have been a terrorist. He was condemned uh, and he was sentenced and he was finally executed. Pakistan says that there is no space for terrorism on its soil. Why should there be different standards over here? I think there is quite a bit of a dissonance uh, within India itself on Afzal Guru's hanging. There have been voices which have said he has been wrongly hanged. Arandati Rai, Roy has been perhaps one of those leading exponents as well as others as well. So uh, I, 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 along with that there has been of course a sentiment in the uh, in uh, Jammu and Kashmir uh, and, and that is where I think uh, Pakistan has had to uh, come in and, and show a diplomatic as well as moral support to the people of Kashmir as has been uh, Pakistan's stance for all these years. Uh, so that is I think Pakistan uh, made a positive sort of a support to the voice of the Kashmir in India and uh, perhaps uh, made that resolution. But Air Marshal Chaudhary, this was a person who attacked parliament. The, the, the link of Pakistan to that parliament attack is something that's been debated endlessly. This is an attack on yeah. our democracy. How can Pakistan today and so many parliamentarians endorse or yeah. support a person who's been convicted by, by our courts? It, 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 it yeah. was an open uh, and shut case. Yeah, Afzal Guru was a Kashmiri, he was not a Pakistani. Uh, the identity of the others who died in that unfortunate uh, uh, attack on your parliament, which I think everybody uh, sort of uh, was, uh, uh, was sympathized with in the sense that it shouldn't have happened at all, uh, were, were the people that actually has, uh, you know, their, their identity is quite uh, uh, doubted in terms of conclusions that you state in your country, as well as the fact that certain uh, other uh, the, uh, investigations that have been carried out by your various agencies indicate that the plot was perhaps made within India and enacted within India. So I don't think there's a final word on what so happened in the parliament that attack almost and took how, us to war. how the role of Pakistan it cannot be doubted. But let me just bring in some of my other uh, other panelists. Mr. Shantarab Naik, as you listen to those remarks made by uh, Air Marshal Chaudhary, yeah. how would you respond? <coughs> uh, the, would, would you that say that this, this is a serious setback, what happened to our relations with, with, with Pakistan, the yeah. fact that their parliament has passed this resolution. This is totally interference in the internal affairs of India, number one. Number two, this justifies, in this act of uh, resolution, passing of resolution, means uh, National Assembly of Pakistan 
has justified the attack on parliament and third is it indicates that the present government is not in real terms in control of the situation and this resolution has been dictated by some extremist element Najma Hatullah would you agree uh, that despite the criticism that we've seen in parliament today by Mr Jaitley of the government in in various areas the fact that we've got a counter resolution with all parties coming together to completely completely condemn what has happened in Pakistan indicates that as far as Pakistan is concerned we are united that we are you are faced with a country which is now bringing its relationship with us even lower than what it's been in the recent past because of these tensions exactly uh, in fact i was sitting in the parliament when the attack took place i was only 30 meters away from all the 30 35 kilos of rdx and all the all the other ammunition they had brought over there i could have been a sitting duck and uh, i i am a i witness to what happened and i i'm sure shantaram ji also remember that we did passed a resolution after the the attack on the parliament and then the investigation took place the process of law went through and finally we found out that the mastermind was afzal guru and by passing this resolution in favor of him in the pakistan assembly it finally proves that it was pakistan's entire conspiracy was hedged up in pakistan and it was done through afzal guru who happens to be a kashmiri and the people who died in the parliament they came with the plan to destroy our temple of democracy and i'm really really surprised how pakistan calls itself a democracy because and they don't have i have no faith in pakistan I never had any faith in Pakistan I have no faith in Pakistan they come and tell something they come and tell in international conferences something and our people have been taken by to the garden path because the prime minister believe what they said in Sharm Sheikh when they come over here to pray in the in um, Ajmer Sharif Christian people are killed over there, massacred over there. Their houses are burned. What kind of a state Pakistan is? I don't think anybody is in control over there. And this unanimous resolution passed in the Parliament Assembly of uh, Pakistan is very, very condemnable affair. Air Marshal, Air Marshal Chaudhary, sure would you like to respond to that? Najma Hepatullah com yeah, condemning it unequivocally what's happened in Pakistan, saying that she has no faith no, in I, Pakistan. No, just one word. Yes, One yes, word, yes, yes, that yes. international democratic community is going to condemn it. All right, Air Marshal Chaudhary, okay. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can uh, easily uh, imagine and understand why uh, Mrs. Uh, Najma Haptola, uh, uh, yes. uh, yeah, would say that. I and I appreciate her uh, concern and her feelings. And, and as an Indian, that is what she must be saying. And I believe she is from the BJP, so I think that's very much something that her party also reflects. Um, uh, now, coming to the point, just a couple of comparison in the two compar uh, in the two resolutions. The Pakistani resolution has a more positive connotation. It is in support of a people of Kashmir, whereas the Indian resolution is against the state of Pakistan. 
So there is a negative connotation and a positive connotation. However, insignificant it might be, but it has a bit of a difference there. Uh, the second point that I wish to make is that unfortunately, in the last about six to eight months, almost a year now, the domestic internal politics of India has hijacked the issue of Pakistan. In comparison, let me show you that as the Pakistani elections come, uh, you know, uh, uh, right on the corner, right on the anvil, uh, India or Kashmir is not at all an issue of our election processes. What is, however, of a part of the Indian election democratic process is Pakistan. And that is what you need to keep in mind when you look at both democratic, democratic, uh, domestic democratic systems at the moment. So therefore, you, it has been hijacked by the your your domestic uh, competitive politics so as you well say as that parts india has been hijacked and by that, our that domestic politics and at the same time pakistan no, absolutely, passes absolutely. a resolution against us no no that's 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 no, your i mean that's point. a combined thing that your response to the pakistani situation but but you go ahead and and and, and say what you want to but what i'm trying to suggest to you is sitting so far away i mean where from a from pakistani perspective and watching india very closely and i watch your uh, domestic politics very very closely and i understand the 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 uh, uh, the, the, the undercurrents that are play in play there uh, entirely it has been hijacked by your domestic politics as well as parts of your media okay i just want to that move is what uh, that is what has brought us to the okay. Fine. I just uh, yes, Najmaji, go ahead with a word? brief response because I want to focus na on Italy next. Najmaji, go ahead. <coughs> what I want to say, I'm not speaking only as a member of Parliament of the BJP. I'm speaking as an Indian. When I was sitting in the Parliament, I was the Deputy Chairman and I was a member of the Congress Party. I speak as an Indian, and Mr. Santanam Naik is a communist, is a Congress member, and he spoke as an Indian. So there is a difference. So Mr. Chaudhary is trying to create a difference in our political parties. No, the entire political system, and entire political party, regardless of what what party they belong to, the entire country is condemning it. It's an attack on our democracy. Okay. This is not the only issue. There have been many attacks in our country. All right. The I just want to, uh, ma'am, I, I take the point. I take the point that you want to make, and I'd like to thank the air marshal for joining us. But I'd like to move to the other part of our debate this evening, uh, which is India's policy as far as Italy is concerned. Uh, ambassador Katie Fabian, former ambassador of ours uh, in Rome, joins me now. Ambassador, you heard our foreign minister a little while earlier on say that it's a wait and watch policy, uh, but. To, for, for India to actually take action against such, a, such an important Western power would be a very major step. Despite what they have done, uh, would there still be likely thinking in the Indian mindset that let's be very careful, we would ultimately need a country like Italy in the future? Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, the action on Italy's part to violate its own undertaking given to the Supreme Court, that's a serious matter. And... Uh, India had to react. But uh, as I see it, uh, we are witnessing uh, an unnecessary and unfortunate chapter in Indo-Italian relations. And both sides should take uh, uh, the re required action to put an end to this chapter and find a way out. What about the Supreme Court saying that the Italian amb ambassador cannot leave this country? Uh, from your understanding as a diplomat of the Vienna Convention, uh, isn't this, uh, I mean the Supreme Court has made this ruling, be, I mean India obviously respects it, but from a legal standpoint, a diplomatic standpoint, is this entirely tenable? Well, it's a little tricky matter. Suppose uh, the Italian ambassador is summoned by 
his foreign office for urgent consultations to say that he cannot go or if uh, he is concurrently accredited to another country and he wants to go there that say that he can't go well i think you know that can be interpreted couldn't there also be a, a concern about retaliation on on italy's part if we were to restrict people from moving out their diplomats from leaving our country is there a concern that they could reciprocate that action uh i'll put it this way i think as uh, the external affairs minister has explained this is a very temporary measure and basically what the supreme court wants is an answer from the ambassador mm -hmm. and uh, i think you know his uh, any restriction on his movement uh, is very very temporary that being said isn't it almost necessary for india at this stage to take very serious diplomatic action at the very least uh, downgrading our diplomatic equation with them perhaps not sending our ambassador at all ah uh, well let me put it this way we have a problem in the sense that uh, in italy after the election they have not been able to form a new government yes and uh, this action has been taken by the government which was there even before the election and uh, this government will be sort of replaced well we don't know when but fairly shortly so there was some sort of sense of urgency on their part yes so what we have to wait for the new government to sort of you know take care of this matter in a way which serves interest of both india and italy which is to sort of uh, save our bilateral relations because our bilateral relations are much broader than two marines or their case All right. Well, I'd like to thank uh, all of you for joining us this evening. It's a serious concern as far as India is concerned, as far as India's policy is concerned. Thank you all very much for joining us. Indian uh, diplomacy now in a particularly tricky chapter. Let's see how India finally comes out of it. Thank you very much indeed. Well, let's quickly move on. It was a move some would say to flow with the times by giving more weightage to English in the civil service entrance exams. The goal was to recognize the importance of English as the only true international language of communication. but a massive political uproar both within and outside parliament has meant that the government has now held the proposed changes to the UPSC exams in abeyance so now people can continue to take the exams in their regional language which politicians across political lines believe is fair since an english education simply does not exist in large parts of our country if we allow english to take control of the upsc and other examinations we will become once again slave to the english conspiracy hui hai angrezi janne wale logon ke dwara ki pure bharat ke gaon gamai regional language jab ke bacche aate the ias ips mein mera ye kehna hai ki aap usko kahiye barkhast kariye इम्पीचमेंट yes. करने के लिए आइए जिसमें आगे आने वाला कोई आदमी इस तरह की हरकत न करे अंग्रेजी में काम न होगा फिर से देश गुलाम न होगा अ पोलिटिकल स्टॉम ओवर न्यू रूल्स फॉर द सिविल सर्विसेज एग्जाम लीविंग द गवर्नमेंट विद नो चॉइस बट टू सस्पेंड द चेंजेस सेवरल चीफ मिनिस्टर्स एंड इवन द डीएमके चीफ मिनिस्टर फार्मर चीफ मिनिस्टर करुणानिधि जी ऑल्सो एज रिटर्न टू ऑनरेबल प्राइम मिनिस्टर अदर लीडर्स ऑल्सो पोलिटिकल लीडर्स ऑल्सो रोड therefore we don't want to make it as an issue and we wanted to resolve it amicably the controversial notification now put on hold gave more weightage to english proposing that students would no longer be allowed to take their exams in a regional language 
from Jayalalitha to Uddhav Thakre, Narendra Modi to Shivraj Singh Chauhan. The rejection was unanimous. In Andhra Pradesh, the UPSC notification on regional language is being seen as exclusive rather than inclusive. That it discriminates against civil service aspirants from rural India with no access to English medium and that it is also a distinct setback to the non-Hindi speaking states, especially the South Indian states. English is a grammatical mistake, so we have a score of the in Maharashtra, MNS and Shiv Sena MLAs battle for Maratha votes. Graduation in Marathi or regional languages will be a problem. Because if they want to give their mother's language, they will not be able In a country without a national language, does Hindi get an undue advantage? against regional languages when it comes to selection of the country's bureaucrats. Dreaming to be an IS officer, but now in a dilemma. Dinesh, an engineer, worked for two years for his Tamil literature paper. You can get the exact answer in your, uh, when they are expressing in their own mother tongue. If you are if you're giving the same criteria for all the languages, it's, not, it's good. So you are giving a higher criteria to Hindi language. So as a divided country debates the merit of merit versus language, we ask, English only, discriminatory or imperative for future officers? Well, that's our big debate this evening. Is English imperative or is it discriminatory in the uh, civil service examinations? Well, joining us to discuss this, Devang Nanavati, BJP leader from Gujarat. Remember, Narendra Modi has criticized that decision, but it has been held since in abeyance. So the, the present rules will continue for the moment. English will not be given the additional weightage. But still, uh, it is a debate. Is this a step forward or a step backwards? That's what we're looking at. Shantaram Naik, uh, Chairman, Parliamentary Standing Committee on Personal uh, uh, Public Grievances, Law and Justice, remains with us for this discussion. He's also a Rajya Sabha MP of the Congress in Srivats Krishna, an IAS officer presently on leave. He's uh, actually with the IIT Madras now doing research for uh, his PhD. Also with us, P.S. Ravindran, Director of uh, Vajiram and Ravi, one of the leading institutes in the country for IAS admissions in the country. Uh, Mr. Nanavati, let me come to you. As important as regional languages are, uh, in your case as important as Gujarati is, you would agree, uh, being in a state which prides itself on reaching out to international investors, prides itself on its international image, that English is a language of international discourse. Uh, why is it therefore not important for English to have been given the role which a lot of people believe should have been given for our young bureaucrats to be completely skilled in the language as they take on their jobs? <coughs> Well, ideally speaking, uh, Vishnu, there is no dispute that English is our window to the outside world and we have had certain advantages because we have been, op uh, you know, exposed to the English language over this past 60 years and the past 150 years because of the British rule. But at the same time, we have lost a lot of our ingenuity, lot of our novelty because we have stopped learning in our mother tongue. We have been kept away from our civilizational values and the rich heritage of literature and other sciences which is available in our uh, civilization because of not knowing our mother tongues and the Sanskrit language itself. Uh, the question is that knowledge of English is not per se bad. 
knowledge of english can also be a prerequisite for certain jobs uh, that uh, officers may have to take uh, during their careers and especially if we're looking at the foreign service etc etc and also uh, the fact is that in india we have interstate transferable uh, jobs for the ias and the ips and other officers which makes it which makes english a useful tool because obviously gujarati living in south india is not going to be able to communicate in hindi i think he'll do a better job if he knows a little bit of english same with a lawyer or a doctor across the country so i agree that english has some role to play but at the same time giving weightage in a competitive exam that because you only know your mother tongue or one of the regional languages and because you don't know a foreign language which is essentially foreign for all indians you should not uh, uh you know you should be given it, it at so a disadvantage what you are saying that is, is that english the english devang is a skill which can which can be which can be picked up later on right you you are talking about the admission process you are not criticizing uh, english per se of course which can be picked up later on of course it can be picked on yeah it can be picked on and and perhaps a better way is to be found out how to bring in the english skill if it is not there but to say that because of that you will get an advantage over others and or rather to say put it as a prerequisite that if you don't know english you really can't then qualify for the exam that is too much that is what the essential objection is to mr nayak uh, it seems fair uh, what what he is saying why in the first place did the government allow the upsc to come up with these amendments or accept these amendments and actually bring it about in parliament and and where where it resulted in this huge in this huge debate uh, did the upsc actually overstep its its role in this case yeah yeah there is a bit of bit of uh, confusion there in fact uh, i remember when i was a member of lok sabha in 84 89 i was pleading for a state public service commission for the union territory when goa had not become a state i went to that extent mm -hmm. therefore i am for strongly for in fact i am for allowing people from goa to answer in konkani their mother tongue now coming to this aspect as other other member panelists has, has suggested basic thing is that one must get an advantage one must get a facility to answer the paper in the respective mother tongue then your uh, knowledge increasing the knowledge of english or hindi as the case may be is a different aspect unless you learn english hindi otherwise you will not be able to march forward okay. that is different thing right. fundamental thing is that you must know your own mother tongue for coming forward shivas krishna uh, why do you believe that the proposed changes were actually a step forward look i think what is the objective of the civil service exam the objective of the civil service exam is to recruit the best and the brightest so that the country has a modern progressive civil service do you need to speak english to be the best no, and the brightest not at all right. i'm not saying that for a moment what is the notification saying the notification is saying you can take the general studies and the other optional paper in any language so long as there are 25 people opting for it it's not barring any language no please look at it in the correct perspective it is mm -hmm. saying you can take it in english hindi or you can take it in any other language so long as at least 25 people appear for the exam using that language which i think is a terrific way of creating a level playing field we've had instances in the past when a very small group of people 
pick up an obscure language and end up maxing that exam using that language, which is not their language, which is not going to be there helping them in their administration in any way, because you get to learn the language of the card you allotted yes. to. This has done away with the randomness associated with the exam, mm -hmm. where you had 28 odd subjects, science, arts, engineering, languages competing for just about 80 or 100 positions. The randomness which could be taken advantage of by picking up an obscure language where you have a small group of paper setters and a small group of Devang, I'll come to you in a moment. Uh, students attempting it has been done away with. They are not for a moment saying you can't write. If there are 50 people in Gujarati who want to take the uh, public administration exam, they can do so. I'm seeing the randomness associated by, by taking picking a up, language. By, by picking up language and getting points, uh, which you have cases an un unfair playing field, right? Where, when they are IITians who take yes. Maithili, for instance, yes. just to give an example, and I think Mr. Ravindran knows more about this, 10 people will take Maithili in the whole country, yes. and, and you'll have probably three paper setters. The possibility of the system being gamed in this kind of is, is, is high. What the UPSC has done is extremely progressive. I think it is a step forward in the right direction. Let me add one more thing. Why doesn't anyone object when the UPSC conducts and insists on English being compulsory for the NDA or the CDSC? Why does it only come to the UPSC when these objections... Devang Nanavati, you want to come in over there? It's an important point. NDA examinations, English is compulsory. And uh, Go ahead. Yes, Devang. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That you, uh, there is there is nothing wrong in having a requirement that you will need proficiency in a particular language, which may be an international language or a national language, so that you may be able to deal with it. But to say that because you are more proficient in an English language or a Hindi language, you will get an <coughs> advantage. That is where the objection is. That. Secondly, Shrivatsa is by and large right. I don't disagree with him. But I, I, I only want to point out one thing that you really can't reduce this to a number game and say that you need a particular number. These are fundamental rights. Government service is protected by under our constitution. It's a fundamental right once government advertises a job. So even if there is one person in a region saying that I want to take it in the regional exam uh, and if that is the law, that should be permitted. So that, that really can't, that dichotomy can't be opened. Otherwise, not just for UPSC, we are opening up a Pandora's box which will lead to a lot of litigation and a lot of other problems if we start doing this. We start catering and fixing a threshold that you need a minimum people of certain time, you know, certain number to do it. And I agree that while in schooling and others, you should be exposed to foreign languages or languages other than your mother tongue, including English and Hindi. The primary right to get yourself educated in any medium that you so choose, including your mother tongue, must not go away and that must extend also to the most competitive exams that are available. We cannot leave out a, a large part of India which has no access to English medium schools or Hindi medium schools sure. or schools of that level where you would have proficient I'll, I'll come to this point I'll come to this point in just a moment but but you can't wants to respond out yeah go ahead uh, Devan this these are just my personal views I'm not representing the government in any way and we are in my personal capacity all I'm trying to say is this is not the equivalent of a test of English as a foreign language this is not a TOEFL this is not to exhibit your linguistic skills they are trying to recruit people for the civil services and many many languages will have sizable numbers many more than 25 who and by which they can write the GS in that language. This is only for those small handful, as I understand it, I could be wrong, as I understand it, 
the cases where you have a handful writing the exam in a particular language and imagine a situation where you have a language say French uh, sometimes you know they used to take French in art when we were uh, not necessarily for the services but to get into other things mightily as I gave an example of you can score very high number of question paper setters and the number of those who actually write the exam are very small what I think is objective and paramount is to preserve the integrity of the exam so that we get the best and the brightest joining the civil services through this exam and that is what this change of the UPSC would go a step forward in doing it creates a level playing field reduces the randomness associated with an exam where so many write it across disciplines I think the point that he's trying to make is that it's not about English per se it's about no, having a level no, playing field Vishnu, in the exam Vishnu yeah, just a second Vishnu, not, not not just a second. There is no dispute with what Shivatsa is saying. I absolutely agree onto the ob the objectives that he has in mind. The question is, therefore, this is not an adversarial debate. We need to find out a solution whereby the, we the, can the method not, selected is wrong. Is, people just the method selected is wrong. That's what you are basically arguing. The method selected to make exactly. these exams right, or, or not even wrong. So the this is not an issue per se about language. The, me the method needs to be broadened to find, yeah. The but regional language should not be a disadvantage. Your mother tongue should not be a disadvantage. Mr. Ravindran, as the director of Vajiram and Ravi, one of the leading institutes uh, for those preparing uh, for yes. the IS examinations, uh, how would this have fundamentally changed the, you know, the, the, the course of these exams? Because there is a lot of merit, I would think, in the argument that English is not accessible to people in so many parts of our country. If those aspiring to join the civil services had to be forced into English, then it's unfair on them because one out of every six candidates in many states who take these examinations do not have access to the English that a lot of people would want. Well, uh, in my opinion, that English cannot be regarded as a foreign language anymore in India. For all practical purposes, it has become an Indian language. Further, the standard that the UPSC has prescribed for this compulsory English paper is 10th standard. It is not even 12th standard, it is not graduation level standard. Which means that the UPSC legitimately expects a, a aspirant who wants to join the topmost civil service in the country should have functional knowledge in English. And a civil servant necessarily have to deal with files almost always in English. He must be able to comprehend the content of the file and he must be able to make his observations in the form of file notings in English that these file notings are going to become an integral part of the decision making progress pro process. So how can we expect somebody to participate effectively in the administration of the country if he does not have functional knowledge? Moreover, that these changes are uniformly similar to all the candidates coming across the country. Whereas what the objection should be is that some kind of discriminatory clause that the UPSC has introduced relating to opting to write the entire brain examination in Hindi medium or in the other regional mediums. That is where that we would request the UPSC to have a second look. Otherwise, I think that this is a very progressive measure. It is in the larger interest of the administration of the country and we should all welcome it. Mr. Nayak, uh, the point that he is so making this is, is uh, that it's... This is what the... Yeah, no, I just want to get uh, Mr. Shantaram Nai to respond to this. The yeah. level of English yeah. which is required is functional. It's not class 12, it's class 10. Uh, the point being made is that if you want to be a bureaucrat in this country, that level of functional English is required. Even, you may even have to pass a test with it, but that should be an expectation going into the test.
even even that functional language should not be a compulsory matter it should be left to the choice of the candidate concerned because ultimately we are looking into to the mother tongue we must have some proficiency and we must have privilege to be given to the candidate to answer in his or her mother tongue that is what is required he he or she may get proficiency in other language subsequently for functional necessity but we should not deprive a candidate of his uh, mother tongue as a knowledge devang you want to come in over here uh, the point being made earlier on was on the functional nature of the well, english which well, is required vishnu, go ahead vishnu vishnu i yes. vishnu i can i can only say that this is one of the been the toughest debates for me personally because there is a dichotomy between every person especially when he is a politician that as a politician devang naravati belonging to a particular political party there is a view of the political party and that is what i am espousing on a personal level i do side a lot with what shivatsa is saying and i do need therefore i see that there has to be some meeting ground where we can have these aspirations of the political regional political parties and the regional languages somehow to work along with the need and of course what is what is you know i nobody can deny it the need to know hindi and english without which you really can't function in as diverse a country as india uh, when you are in a common civil service which is transferable etc so i agree and i find it very difficult and perhaps today for the first time i'm feeling on a debate that i don't have a clear answer either way what would resolve this conflict there is a conflict there is merit on both sides there is merit in saying that we should not lose lose out regional talent because of english and because you know more english you should get some advantage because of that at the same time i don't see how in a country where our legal system works on english language uh, all our laws are drafted in english and then they are translated in various other languages i don't know how without knowing the english language or any functional knowledge also of the english language you are going to be able to serve in the civil service so this is a very very difficult uh, balancing act that all of us have to come together and do and ensure that we respect the spirit of the constitution we ensure that no opportunity is lost out to any class creed or community because of uh, not knowing a particular language or or only knowing the mother tongue and as well as well maintain certain standards which makes us efficient enough in the civil service to govern a country where english is definitely i agree a important role to play mr ravindran i think he's really summarized where we were headed with this debate no clear answers would you in just just the minute that we have left offer any solution to make english more important which you believe is necessary while still considering or recognizing regional languages well, you know, regional factors i i well i have been in the uh, field of coaching the candidates preparing for the civil services examination for more than 30 years and i have come across that no candidates has a level of uh, standard in english which is less than 10 standard which i have come across i have gone across the country i have addressed many of the institutions which are run by the state governments and i have seen the rural students that who are given preference in those institutions are admitted in those institutions and i have interacted with them and they have enough knowledge equivalent to 10 standard to take this examination with english as a compulsory paper so without that we will be heavily compromising on the quality of the civil servants who would be recruited into the service considering the fact that the civil services are the topmost civil post in the country that i think that as the constitution requires 
we will have to find a balance between merit and uh, and uh, protecting the interest of the all the other countries right. well, other students we cannot just talk only about the aspect of the right of the candidates but we had, it has to be balanced with the merit of the the merit of the uh, civil servants will be recruited into the right. well, topmost administrative it's a, it's services. A, it's a pretty profound challenge. Uh, let's see where we head with this for the moment. There has been no decision, no step forward and no step backward as such either. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us. It's time now for us to take a short break. We're going to move to something completely different up after that. Does the iPhone 5 actually have a challenger? Welcome back. Samsung has unveiled its latest smartphone. It's a phone that takes on the biggest uh, player in the market over there, the Apple iPhone 5. Time now for a short break. Up next, Trending with Sunitra Chaudhary.